anything, right? I've there never preached um, to my face on a screen before. I've, I've never done this. So, um, but I, I know you're watching. I see the live stream. I've seen your comments. I've seen you guys just loving us back and I appreciate it so much. So um, our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 14, verses three through 11. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, I encourage you to grab that because we will look at this passage, but we're also gonna come up a little higher and look um, at the larger context. But here is Mark 14, three through 11. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So quick question before we dive into the passage this morning. Um, how do you typically respond to disappointment? Uh, take a second and just think about that. Maybe if anyone in the room with me wants to uh, shout out anything, how do you typically respond when things don't go your way? Anyone brave enough to yell? Frustration. Frustration. Okay. Sometimes anger. Anger. Yeah. So I made a list of some ways that I have responded to disappointment um, when things don't go my way. In, in the past, uh, mainly from my childhood, but possibly some of these have slid into my adult years as well. I'll never tell. Uh, cry. Get angry. Get jealous of friends who seem to have it all. Stomp away, yell, sulk, pout, complain, go to a different parent to hopefully, hopefully get a more favorable answer, slam doors. Um, I could go on and on, but those were just the first ones that came to my mind. And I bet all of you can remember having some um, reactions like that, maybe some outbursts or expressions when things didn't exactly go your way, when you got news you didn't want to hear, uh, because none of us likes to hear unfavorable or disappointing news. You know, we don't like it when things don't go our way. It throws us off balance when, when suddenly we realize we're not actually in control, when that illusion of control we thought we had is is stripped away from us. The rug is pulled out from under our feet, so to speak. Um, and we are all experiencing disappointment and undesirable circumstances in one way or another right now. And so this morning, I want us to consider how we are responding in the face of it. And actually this passage from Mark 
chapter 14 has a lot to say to us about responding to disappointment, even if it doesn't look like that at first glance. So to, so to see that, to get that angle, we need to come up a little higher and we need to get a broader view of, of really the second half of Mark's gospel. Um, because building up to this night in Bethany that we have here in Mark 14, Jesus has actually announced three times to his followers that he was going to die. I mean, you can see each of these announcements in Mark chapters eight, nine, and 10, where he says basically, I'm going to die a brutal and humiliating, painful death after being betrayed and rejected. But after three days, I will rise again. Now, talk about news that they had never expected to hear and, and news really they couldn't fully make any sense of. Um, as you read in chapters eight through 10 of Mark, you notice that the disciples have all sorts of different reactions to this news. They, they seem agitated, they seem distracted, they seem stressed. And Peter even rebuked Jesus for making such a statement. And I don't wanna condemn them for their reactions. I can't even imagine how that news must have fallen on them because here they were, they've left everything for Jesus. And even though they believed he was the Messiah, was dying a, a brutal, humiliating death really part of the picture that they understood? Nevertheless, they, they journeyed on with Jesus towards Jerusalem. And finally, after a week full of difficult encounters, emotionally charged conversations and growing dis-ease and tension among the religious leaders towards Jesus, they finally make it to Bethany. At the home of a friend, they sit down to a meal. And that's when a woman at the dinner, who many believe to be Mary of Bethany, sister uh, to Martha, and Lazarus and close friend to Jesus broke open a jar of expensive ointment and proceeded to anoint Jesus with it, pouring it over his head. And that's when these stressed out followers really started fussing. Why did you waste that expensive ointment like that? We could have done some good with it. We could have helped the poor. But Jesus defended her actions and says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For you will always have the poor with you and you can show kindness to them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Jesus' statement here about helping the poor has nothing to do with um, his view of loving and helping others in need. He was all for that. And he reminded them that they could do that whenever they wanted to. Nothing was holding them back. The emphasis here is between those statements you will always have and you will not always have. They wouldn't always have the opportunities that they had with Jesus in these moments. And I think that is what this woman was able to see and embrace that the others weren't. You see, she was a close friend of Jesus too. She would have also heard Jesus' shocking news. She also would have had to struggle with what his death would mean for her and for everyone that she cared about. But while everyone else at the dinner seems to have avoided in one way or another Jesus' words 
about his impending death, this woman seems to have come to a place of trusting acceptance of what Jesus has announced. Even in the face of the most terrifying and painful uncertainty she had likely ever faced, she chose to trust Jesus. She chose to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus, making it clear that she would love him and serve him no matter what. Her actions lie in stark contrast to Judas's actions. After the meal was over, Judas met with Jesus' opponents and sold out. Now, we don't know exactly why Judas betrayed Jesus. Some think that he was a part of a group that only saw the Messiah as that strong military leader, a group that wanted um, a revolt against Rome. And so maybe Judas chose to create some circumstances that would motivate Jesus to some type of militaristic action and finally save Israel. Because after all, isn't that what the Messiah was supposed to do? Save them from their enemies. Or maybe it was just that Judas couldn't understand how death would lead to victory because death meant failure, right? Death meant defeat. Death meant it was all over. Therefore, death meant he had been wrong about Jesus. Judas didn't understand that to get to the abundant, miraculous, job-dropping, life-giving reality God had in mind for the world, Jesus and those who followed him would first have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe that's the piece Judas was missing, that greater reality that is always available to us in God our Father, that God brings life out of death. You know, this time of uncertainty that we are all facing is a great opportunity for us to connect to this truth that God brings life out of death. Your circumstances don't have to literally be life or death for you to grab onto this and live by this every day. You know, for some of you, the current circumstances with the pandemic have barely affected you beyond changing your social habits and your toilet paper inventory. Uh, but others of you are staring in the face of some pretty big concerns. You are genuinely concerned for your health. Someone you know or love is ill right now. You have concerns about your livelihood, but no matter what your disappointment, no matter what you are facing, whether it's the loss of special events in your life, like a graduation ceremony, or it's the loss of someone you love, lean into this truth. God brings life out of death. Lean in and stay alert to the new opportunities and the new things that God will bring into this time, this dark valley. The big difference between this woman and Judas was that she chose to keep believing and keep loving Jesus, even when her own future was uncertain and her preferred outcome was clearly not going to happen. She couldn't change what was coming. She couldn't get her way. So she focused 
on who Jesus was and what she could still do. She could worship Jesus and honor Jesus with what she had, even in her deep disappointment. She could continue to surrender to him, give her best to him and move forward with him, even though the future looked terribly bleak. She could still trust him, even in the face of death. One thing she didn't do was let her disappointment keep her from coming to Jesus. Instead of distancing herself from him like Judas did, she drew near. And because she drew near, she was able to hear Jesus speak over her head powerful words of affirmation and acceptance. Truly, I tell you, he said, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Jesus received her as she approached him in all of her disappointment and all of her uncertainty and then poured out a blessing of love and acceptance over her. And because she persevered with Jesus, she saw the resurrection. Judas missed it completely. So if we can learn anything from this Mark 14 passage, maybe it's this, that distancing yourself from Jesus, pulling away from God in your disappointment, in your pain, in your fear, is not a good answer. It only leaves you empty. And it prevents you from seeing the new opportunities and the wonderful reversals that only God can bring into your life. But drawing near and continuing to do what you know, worshiping Jesus, honoring Jesus with your best, surrendering yourself to his loving care will enable you to see all of the beautiful possibilities and potential for new growth and new life that are available in Christ. When you draw near to Christ and continue to trust him, even as you walk through your darkest valleys, your disappointments and painful circumstances won't get the last word. God will have the last word and God will transform all of that into something new and wonderful. It may not look like anything you can imagine right now and it may not look like anything you think you even want right now. But new life will spring up where there is disappointment and even death. So is there enough space in you to embrace that kind of openness to Christ? Can you let go of your expectations and your limited views in order to receive the new work that Jesus wants to do in you? In his book, A Life of being, having, and doing enough, and I want to show this to you. It's a super good book. I don't know if you can see that. Wayne Muller. If you're looking for a good book to encourage your heart right now, I highly suggest this one. He, he says this. Um, there's a Tibetan parable that says if we put a tablespoon of salt in a glass of water and drink it, the water will taste terrible and bitter. But if we were to stir that same tablespoon of salt into an enormous clear blue mountain lake, the water in the lake would remain sweet. We would not taste the salt at all. The problem, therefore, 
is not the salt we are given. The real problem is how spacious is the container into which the salt is poured. He goes on to say, so the question is never, ever, whether or not we will be given challenges or limitations, we will. The question is, how will we hold them? How will we be changed? How will they shape us? What will we bring into the healing of them? What, if anything, will be born in its place? So as you think about that, I just want to leave you with some questions to consider. And I will post these on the Facebook page so that you can access them and reflect during the week. How much space have you made inside your soul through the relinquishment of your expectations for something new to be born in its place? When disappointments and pain come your way, will you lean into Christ and trust the Holy Spirit to do a new work? Will you trust him to bring forth a resurrection in your life and your circumstances? What is this time of uncertainty exposing in you? What soul work does the Holy Spirit need to do in you as a result? And lastly, what new opportunities lie in front of you? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to be like this woman in Mark 14. May we be known for our humble, worshipful trust of you. May we worship you when our plans blow up and not betray you to our own ideas of what's best. May we draw near to you even in the face of uncertainty. Help us, Lord, persevere through disappointments and the difficult roads you lead us on. And may we experience the fullness of joy and life that you promise to those who choose to follow you through the valley. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Susan, for that good word. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about that container. Uh